Hello and welcome to a newsflash episode of Unpacking the Case, the podcast by David Jones-Bold, the real estate law specialist. As always, I'm joined by our head of legal training, Richard Snape. Hello, Lizzie. Well, we are here to talk about Crown on the application of Annington Properties Limited and Secretary of State for Defence, which seems to be a case about a bit of everything. Um, so I don't know where you want to start. I mean, it covers a bit of leasehold enfranchisement, landlord and tenant, 54 Act, public law, private law. Yep, it does. Where are we going to start and with this a, one? It's a High Court case, actually from May the 15th was the judgment. And it's 152 pages long. Light reading then. I intend to go through all 152 pages meticulously. Uh, no, we'll just deal with the private law side of things for the most part anyway because it's a very complicated, albeit a uh, very important case involving potentially £8 billion worth of property. Shall I tell you the background to it? Or? Yes, please do. Uh, it goes back, it was all the, what used to be married quarters for, for the Ministry of Defence for all their people. Um, and uh, it's now called Service Family Accommodation by all accounts. And back in 1996, uh, they created leases, did the MOD, for 50, around about just over, I think it was, 57,000 properties. Um, they went through a seller's sale and lease back. They retained the freehold, but uh, granted 999-year uh, leases to Annington Properties. Uh, and Annington then, what happened then is Annington... Uh, gave leasebacks uh, for 200-year leases back to the MOD. Um, Annington paid £1.7 billion back in the, in the mid-1990s for this little deal, but did quite well, they did very well out of it, as it turns out, because um, the MOD, well, there was a 25-year rent review, and the MOD obviously had to pay rent to Annington on the 200-year leases, which they would then then let the sort of you know, sort of uh, defence well soldiers and the likes occupy in their families, um, and uh, the MOD would be responsible for any voids and empty properties. The MOD would also um, be responsible for maintenance and dilapidations. And there was a report back in two thousand and eleven from the National Audit Office that basically said when you take into account the the sort of increased capital value of these various properties. Um, back in 2011, they basically lost between 2.2 and 4.2 billion pounds. And so the whole estate is, there's only 38,000 properties now. That's quite a lot, mind you. Uh, but the whole estate is uh, probably worth 8 billion pounds. What then happened, what seems to have spurred the MOD into action is that, um, well, the in 2021, the 25-year rent review was going to go through, and Annington also intended to, to sell these long 999-year leases to uh, Terra Firma, and that's, I say, why the MOD decided to act. And shall I tell them what they did? Yeah, why not? Um, they, uh, they used the Leasehold Reform Act, uh, the 1967 Leasehold Reform Act, which I haven't mentioned in these... Um, these uh, podcasts before, I don't think. The Leasehold Reform Act basically allows you to serve notices, Section 5 desire notices, uh, in relation to leasehold houses. Uh, so you can, on the cheap, buy the freehold. And when you buy the freehold, you also buy out in, any intermediary leases. 
So you basically would get rid of all the 999 year leases and pay a much smaller level of compensation than the, the billions that the properties you know, are potentially worth to you, although you've lost. Um, they initially served in relation to one house, bearing in mind that the MOD you know, you know, don't occupy these properties, but they served in relation to one house in, in Lincolnshire, REF uh, Cranwell. And then another house on the same site. And then they got a bit more ambitious, six houses in Bristol, in Belvedere Road in Redland, which I understand you know. I do. It's just on route to my um, my food shop every day. Well, that's it. Every day to the food shop. Yeah, I'm very disorganised like that. Yeah, so am I. Um, but anyway, yes, I used to live quite close to there as well, actually. And so I sort of can't picture it. And there were six semi-detached houses, apparently, on this Belvedere Road. Um, the um, the uh, What then happened is that um, Annington not unnaturally objected to this on various grounds. One of the grounds was that, um, well, you can't serve notice as an enfranchise if you're the, you know, got the sublease, but also the freeholder. Well, what the MOD had done, you can sort of enfranchise, you know, if the freehold is held by a nominee. And they'd set up a, an organisation called Defence Infrastructure Holdings Limited to actually um, to, to hold the freeholds. Um, they, uh, one of the things Annington argued was that, uh, well, DIHL, uh, Defence Infrastructure, didn't actually become registered proprietors uh, until the, the the actual notices had been served, but the the court decided the High Court decided that was an irrelevance. You could still serve the notices uh, on the nominee, and not be treated in law as a separate body. They also tried to argue that something called um, um, Crown, uh, I almost said invisibility, indivisibility. That you know the MOD and uh, national infrastructure ho holdings are one and the same person. The court decided they weren't. But I think for the private sort of lawyers, the most significant thing, certainly in commercial law, is um, they, they brought in the 54 Landlord and Tenant Act, um, which we've dealt with on numerous occasions. And we've actually dealt with it on a recent podcast, this particular point, actually. Uh, sorry, on a recent webinar. Uh, shall I give you the background to that? Why they would use try to use uh, that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, basically, they argued. Uh, did Annington? I didn't understand the argument, but they argued that um, the Ministry of Defence uh, themselves, you know, as a corporate body, didn't occupy these premises. Therefore, they were business tenants. And there's a quirk of the legislation in the history of the legislation. Originally, for to to use the sixty seven Act to buy the freeholder leasehold house. Uh, you had to be, uh, there's a residence requirement, you had to be resident for at least two years or two years out of the last 10 years. And that was dropped by various amendments under the Common Hold and Leasehold Reform Act in July of 2002. But it wasn't dropped, it's in Section 1, Subsection 1, Capital B. Uh, it wasn't dropped uh, if the premises constituted business tenancies within the 54 Landlord and Tenants Act. Shall I go through the, the sort of whether they were business tenants or would that be a... You know, recap. Yeah, I think that'd be helpful. Uh, well, it's well, section twenty-three of the Act deals with when the Act applies, and to cut a long story short, to paraphrase, 
uh, you have to occupy under a lease, at least partly for business purposes. And there are a few exceptions which aren't really relevant here. You have to occupy under a lease as opposed to a license. And as you know, you can't just call something a license and make it a license if you've got exclusive possession. With a few exceptions, you've got a lease. Uh, that wasn't too relevant here, but you've also got to show occupation. And uh, who's an occupation if you've got a lease and a sublease? And that was the real question. And they quoted various cases. You say that I mentioned at the beginning of this week in a webinar that I was doing on the 54 Land Building Tenant Act and when it applies. One was a case called Wandsworth uh, Borough Council in Singh, 1991 case, called Appeal Case, where it was held that the council, who were tenants of these premises, occupied, it was 500 square metres of public open space. And they occupied this, uh, obviously a corporate body, it doesn't occupy as such, but through their contractors, their gardeners and horticulturalists and likes. Basically, Ralph Gibson, or Justice Ralph Gibson, said that the test was basically a, you know, it was a question of fact. If you were to ask who occupies you know, the, the open space, the answer would come back, it's the council. And that would be enough. Can you yeah. tell us about subleasing? Yeah, well, there'd been a, an important House of Lords case in 1996, Grayson and P&O Holdings, where the landlords had granted a lease uh, of a market hall uh, to Grayson. Uh, and then, you know, the, the tenants then sublet all the various stalls, uh, you know, to the stall holders in this big market. The House of Lords said that it is a question of fact and degree, but only one person can occupy at any one time. And almost certainly, in the vast majority of occasions, perhaps exceptions, very rare exceptions, it's going to be the subtenant, you know, the one who's there physically present, if you like. And the fact that you have some degree of control over common parts is neither here nor there. And that really clinched it. They, I was surprised they didn't discuss the case in all these 152 pages. And it takes some doing, Lizzie. I hope you realize. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they, it is like Finnegan's Wake. I wasn't kidding. I mentioned that the other day. Uh, but um, there was a case called Smith and Titan in 2005, which was almost exactly to the point, but rather simpler. Um, I say which wasn't discussed in Smith and Titan. It was um, it was um, premises that had uh, a lease had been taken out of, and then they'd been subletting to you know, residential units. And it was actually the tenant who wanted to argue that I'm not in occupation and I'm not a business tenant because then they'd have been able to enfranchise. Uh, and uh, they succeeded again. It's the subtenants who are in occupation, even if you take some degree of control of the common parts. And that really clinched it. Um, they weren't business tenants. The MOD, uh, Secretary of State for Defence, wasn't a business tenant. Uh, because uh, the premises are being sublet. So they didn't have to show a residence requirement. Corporate bodies can't show residence anyway. And uh, they succeeded. There were a few sort of public, well, a lot of public law arguments put forward as well, um, which uh, I will leave to the, the public lawyers. Uh, but uh, as it stands, the MOD have um, was successfully going to enfranchise all these 38,000 properties and get rid of their intermediate uh, landlord. And that's basically it, Lizzie. Do you want to know what the future holds? Yeah, what does the future hold for a case we like this? Well, we don't know for certain, but if you're dealing with billions of pounds, it usually warrants thought of an appeal. I would not be surprised if we revisit this at some future time when it's heard by the Court of Appeal. We'll have to see about that, though. So I don't think we have heard the last of it. It was actually in the national news and the likes. It was in some of the the uh, the newspapers back in back in 
May. It is quite significant. So sounds like we're going to have the sequel to enjoy yes, at a later date. You have to listen to that all over again. <laughs> uh, at some stage in the future. There you go. Thank you very much, Richard. And thank you to everybody for listening. We'll see you again in our next episode.